Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And I'm joined by Ori Agbaje-Williams. She's a British-Nigerian writer. She's living in London, and she's written her brand new novel. It's her debut novel of three of us. It's available everywhere. It explores the relationship between a husband and wife partner and the wife's best friend. And I don't think it's necessarily a spoiler to say they don't all get along with each other. And Ori, as I bring you into the conversation and welcome you to the show. So can you set up the story for us? We have three. It's an unnamed uh, married couple and the wife's best friend. Where did you get the, uh, the, the basic setup for the book? How did you come to, to choose these three people for this particular setting? So I was actually having a conversation with my uh, best friend, Grace, who the book is dedicated to. Um, and I was talking about someone I've been seeing, and I said, oh, I really like him. And she was like, oh, now you're going to get a boyfriend. I'm never going to speak to you. He's going to be around all the time. And I was like, no, he has to understand that you come first. And we were kind of joking about it. Um, and so it got me thinking of what actually would happen if, you know, a best friend and a partner really did not get along and how that would work. And Temi is actually... Um, and I just thought it would be really interesting to hear from these three people in this, this particular kind of triangle, because rather than it being like a love triangle, it's more of like a hatred triangle. <laughs> so it would be a really fun dynamic to sort of explore. Well, it's set up in three different sections, and we hear the, the husband and wife, like I said, are unnamed, but we also hear from uh, Temi in the last part of the book. But as you went about and started writing, and I don't know what this technique is called that you used for the dialogue, but really there's no quotes, so the, the, the things aren't broken up like, you know, Temi said, da-da-da-da-da, you know, the, the wife exclaimed, whatever. The, the way you set up the dialogue, and I think you probably know what I'm talking about, there's no quotes, but you necessarily relate to the reader what is said. Can you explain that? Because I thought it flowed very well. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, it was a bit of a risk. Um, but yeah, I just, I think because each character, for each, each of the sections is very insular, it's almost like a monologue. So I wanted it to feel very much like we were seeing everything from that perspective. And it wasn't sort of broken up into, and so she said this, and so he said that. Um, and I thought it was really important that it feel very sort of one note and very singular and internal. Um, and I thought if I broke it up and separated it, it would feel kind of much more traditional and feel like it was a bit sort of like someone telling a story. And I also loved the idea that because um, we were getting sort of internal uh, monologues, essentially, that there was a question, a question of the reliability of each narrator and who was saying what someone was actually saying or who was sort of delivering it in the way that they perceived it. And I loved sort of playing with the idea of unreliability. Well, and, you know, there's always the question of how reliable a narrator is in fiction, and that's something as a reader that I always think about, how how much can we trust this person? But you add the element of alcohol, and this takes place over the course of one day with more and more alcohol going into somebody's system. And so as you put your mindset into an intoxicated person or getting intoxicated, as you wrote, how did you think about it in your mind? Would the alcohol make them more honest or uh, more unbelievable? I think a bit of both, actually. Um... In some in some instances, I think it would make them uh, more honest in terms of saying exactly what they thought to each character. But then also a little bit of being unbelievable because the more the angrier they're getting at the person that they don't like, the more they're thinking, well, this person is this and this person thinks this and this is how I perceive them and therefore this is definitely how they are. Um, and everyone's perceived reality feels real until someone else presents another version of it. Um, so I think it was a bit of both, actually, and I, I really love sort of playing that up. Did you have to, as you were writing the the dialogue in the way that you did, did you have to put your mindset in as an intoxicated person were or draw on experiences from it? Because it seems very difficult to write when the, the mind is getting cloudier and cloudier 
uh, or perhaps more honest as the book goes on? Um, do you know what? That's actually so, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, I don't know. I don't think I specifically put myself into the mind of uh, someone who was drunk. I think it was more the honesty that I was bringing out um, because a lot of people say that people say things they don't really mean when they're drunk, and I actually think that people are more honest when they're drunk. To be honest, um, so I thought it would be interesting to kind of tap into more of the honesty and like what are the things that people really, really feel, and what are things that people do, especially when they're when they're honest and maybe they're desperate. Um, and I thought that tapping into that part of the desperation of having to try to keep everything together or keep everything the way it is um, would be really, really interesting to, to get into that kind of mindset. The aspect of each character, they're, they're clearly Nigerian, British Nigerians, as you are. And I thought it was interesting, and I know this isn't really something that you have control over, but the cover of the book in the UK version showed three black persons. The cover on the American version has a spilled wine glass. Did, did a lot of thought go into the marketing there? Because it's, it seems interesting to me that, that the, the, two, the covers would be so dramatically different. Um, I think, honestly, well, it's a question people ask me. So, which cover do you prefer? I'm like, I don't have favorites. Like, they're both honestly fantastic covers, and I think they work brilliantly for both markets. Um, in the UK, they actually asked me uh, to provide descriptions, and I actually found that quite difficult because I don't really do a lot of describing of the characters' physical, physical appearances in the book. Um, and I also don't like necessarily giving people a specific image of each character they have to hold on to. I love, when I read, coming up with what characters look like in my head based on how they're described. Um, so it was really interesting for that to happen, actually. But I think the thing that works so well is that they both kind of focus on different things. Um, I think in the UK cover, they've obviously got the characterization of each of the characters on there, and I love, obviously, the way that they're looking at each other. You've kind of got the husband and wife on one side and Tim on the other. But also in the US cover, I love that they've kind of really adopted what I now call the fourth character, which is the wine. Um, and also there's a, a sort of double entendre of the spilled wine, but if you look a bit more closely at the cover, it's kind of a chasm that everything is, that something is falling into. It's like this deep chasm, you don't even see where it ends. And that kind of goes into the depth of these relationships and the complexities that they hold. So I think that both of those covers do such a fantastic job of characterizing the book um, and also doing it in a way that looks incredibly aesthetically pleasing. Wow, I just looked again at the cover and it does look like a three-dimensional picture of a of chasm, of that yeah. spilled wine. I, I missed that, and so I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, the, the idea of motherhood came up in here, and that was what a lot of the fight was about. And so how did the motherhood and your experience, clearly you've, you've had a mother, and how did that experience play into how both women in this book viewed motherhood? I think it's a conversation that a lot of my friends and I um, have had or are having. I have friends who have kids, um, friends who don't want to have kids, and I just think it's interesting because I think we but we all have these conversations very plainly. Like we don't see not being a mother is a bad thing or being a mother is a bad thing, and we're both really open to the fact that those those journeys can be different and that we can all have these sort of different ideas about it. Um, but I know that it's also a very polarizing conversation, and a lot of, in a lot of cultures and societies getting married and having children is seen as the thing that you do and therefore your life is sort of complete. Um, and so I like the idea of at least one or two of these people, and particularly women, trying to subvert that kind of idea and trying to make sure that someone else is sticking to the guns of subverting that idea as well and what happens when maybe those ideas split off. Um, and I think what's been great is that, you know, my parents would love for me to get married if, if I want to do that, but it's nothing that they sort of put pressure on me about. And I think in this book, it's very much the opposite. The parents are very much like, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to tick off all these sort of life achievement boxes. So I thought it would just be interesting to um, almost flip the way that I've experienced conversations about motherhood and where I've experienced you know, conversations about marriage and relationships um, and see how that plays out in sort of a fictional sense. 
I'm chatting with Oria Agbaje Williams about her new book, The Three of Us. It's her first novel. It is available everywhere. Oria, I know you've been writing fiction for quite a while. You're involved in the you were involved in the publishing industry as your day job. But uh, can you take me through the process of selling this book because it went to auction, and I always think that's a real fascinating uh, time for a, an author and their agent. Yeah, it's it's funny because having worked in publishing, I know that those things are very rare. The number of submissions that editors receive that I received when I was an editor um, are in the hundreds and thousands throughout your career. So you receive so many submissions, and it's almost very rare that you take anything to acquisitions. Well, not very rare, but it's just, you know, there's a whole process you have to go through before you even take anything to the acquisitions meeting where you talk about the book and then put in an offer and all that kind of stuff. So the idea that it was even um, at auction was really crazy to me. Um, but I just felt so privileged that people were really connecting with the book and enjoying it. Um, and particularly when I found out that my editor, Sally Kim, had really enjoyed it because I'm a big fan of one of her authors, um, Kylie Reed, who wrote um, Such a Fun Age. So I think what's interesting about that whole process is that you get an auction and then you talk to uh, various different editors and they all, they all give you sort of their take on the book and what they think about it and how they, how they, how they envision it. Um, and Sally's view for the book was just incredible to me, and she just we had such a really in-depth conversation about the contents of the book, and I think that was even more interesting to me than what she was saying about the marketing of the book, um, because it told me that she was connecting with this book in a, in a deeper way, and that she found its contents and its, um, what was it, its core really, really interesting, and that she really thought about it, and I loved that. And I think that kind of passion plays a lot into how books are published, and how people, how publishers are able to get readers to connect with it because they're able to pull things out of it that they've connected with and that they've enjoyed or understood and they can then translate that to a new audience. Um, but in terms of the marketing, I think also the wine really helps <laughs> with the cover um, and also just the, the sort of central issue is what, what would you do? And I think that question has really helped to connect readers with it and to um, get them interested in the idea because I think a lot of people have also said to me, oh, this is such a common thing, like when your friends don't like your partner or something, but they've, so they've never really seen it in fiction, which was really surprising to me because I'm like, I'm sure somewhere out there it must be. Um, but it was just really fascinating to, to me to sort of hear that they hadn't seen it before and because my publisher had pulled that out, it was a really great point of um, sort of contention and interest that really pulled readers in. And then, again, with the package and everything, and just sending out to also really fantastic book bloggers because book bloggers and libraries and booksellers are such a huge part of the process. Um, so having that support early on really, really, really helps the book. It's, it's uh, kind of coincidental you mentioned Kylie Reed. I read Such a Fun Age, had her on the show, and she's a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop, so small world uh, oh, yeah, with, cool. <laughs> with respect to. Uh, where did you get your writing education from? Because not everybody can write a novel. Yeah, um, well, so at university I did, um, I think I did two creative writing courses actually, uh, or creative writing modules, um, and I also did a screenwriting module, I didn't do as well as the screenwriting one, but at the creative writing ones I did, I did, I did uh, a lot better because I think at school I'd also enjoyed sort of creative writing and I'd also written things here and there, but there's never any sort of way that you know anything's any good, you can enjoy something you've written and then someone else can hate it, which happens all the time anyway, even with published books and things like that, um, that it's just, it's really fascinating when you write something and then you send it to someone who, I guess, works in the industry and they say, actually, this is really good. Um, so I think, honestly, it was a case of practice makes perfect and just writing and writing until I found my voice um, and what it is that I like to write about and how I like to write. And that's when I was able to enjoy it and say, okay, this this is maybe good and this is maybe something that I would love to um, to publish and to put out there. 
Well, you know, you mentioned that you didn't do as well in the screenwriting, and screenwriting is almost writing all dialogue. And after reading this book, I can see where that would have been an issue for you because the the dialogue thing is that a, is that a trait of all your writing that you don't use dialogue with said and all that stuff. You you just let it kind of speak for itself and not break it up like you would have to for screenwriting. Um, well, it's interesting because I think with the second book I'm working on now, I am pulling out the dialogue because there are so many different perspectives and a lot more characters. Um, but I think dialogue is just, it's really hard, even when just thinking about the concept of it, fictionalizing how you speak naturally without necessarily thinking about it. You're trying to capture what you do without thought by thinking about it. Um, and that's a really hard and difficult thing to do. And there are people who do it so, so well. And I really admire them for it. But I, I do find dialogue quite tricky. Um, and I think perhaps the monologue aspect of, of the three of us allowed me to not have to tap into that so much. And I think you're right. There's a there's part of me that doesn't necessarily like hearing he said and she said and they said and that kind of thing, especially because when you're hearing a natural conversation, you don't have the he said and she said. You just have what the person is saying. Um, and I wanted to capture that as much as I could, but without overdoing it or you know trying to overwrite the dialogue and how they speak. So, yeah, dialogue is tricky, um, but I think... Particularly in this book, it works well the way that it is because it's obviously hearing everybody's voice and hearing from their perspective, so um, it works well. well. I just absolutely love this book. It was such a, f- a quick read for me because I was entertained the whole way through. The book is called The Three of Us. It is a brand new novel from Ore Agbaji Williams. The book's available everywhere. Check it out and add it to your summer reading list. Ore, just a fantastic debut novel here, and I thank you for joining me to talk about it. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time.